Hi, my name is Carly and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message. Good, good. Well, my name is Ken. I get the privilege of being the executive pastor here. We're going to continue to experience God like I know that you already have. That worship was just incredible. But we want to celebrate first. First of all, isn't it great to be a part of a church that's reaching into your community? Yes. Making a difference. I love being a part of a church that does that. We don't want to sit on the sideline. We want to be a part. Well, it's not just happening out there, but it's also happening in here. And I've got a cool story that I'd like to celebrate with you. Last week, Pastor Josh, our kid's pastor, was approached by a man who said, you know what, Pastor Ken, I, my, I have a couple of young ladies that have been living with us, uh, children, and uh, it was a surprise. They weren't supposed to stay as long as they did, but, but they've been living with us, and they're not, they don't come from a household that believes in Jesus, but they've been living with us. And he said, you know what, because of the church and because of what they've seen in our life, the oldest one of those young ladies, who I think was about 11 or 12 years old, 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood, wants to give her life to Jesus. Isn't that cool? So it gets even better than that. So we, we just don't believe that the pastor should be the only one that leads people to Jesus. And so Pastor Josh looked back at this man and he said, okay, we're not going to do this in kids' service, though. I want you to come after kids' service. And so he had this young man come, and he, that young man was the first one there at the doors of the kids' ministries last week. And, and he went and took them into a private room and led this young man, this father, through the sinner's prayer to lead to this young girl. Isn't that cool? Because here's the thing. We're all called to lead people to Jesus, not just the pastors. We're all the church, right? Come on. And we're going to be talking about and to the church this morning. But, you know, last weekend, uh, I had the privilege of just going over to a, a home in Orlando with some friends uh, of mine. And one of those was, was Pastor Josh uh, Cunningham. He and his wife and, and Selah, their daughter, went with us. And we decided, because Pastor Josh is a huge LeBron James fan, um, we decided that we would allow him to watch the Lakers basketball game, the playoff game that night. Um, I am not an NBA fan because I think it's fake, just like the WWE, and I told Pastor Josh as such that it's the equivalent of wrestling. Um, that's, that's how the uh, referees call it. It's a bunch of nonsense. I played basketball in high school, played intramurals in college. I told him I know what real basketball looks like, and that doesn't look like real basketball. It looks like fake. Uh, but we were watching, and, and this is what, what Pastor Josh told me. He was so excited about the game in the series, and he said, you know what? The Lakers should just run away with this. They should win 4-0. They're the dominant team. You know why, Pastor Ken? I said, why is that? He said, because they have three guys over 6'10", and they're so big, they can play what's called bully ball. Yeah, 6'10", that's really big. For perspective's sake, I'm 6'3". Um, and a lot of people think I'm big. 6'10", is me doing this. So 6'10", like 270, 280 pounds, three guys. They're going to be able to play bully ball, and they're just going to be able to plow people over in the lane. And I said, oh, okay. Well, we got into the game, and it was hilarious because I got to give Pastor Josh just a really hard time, and I am a bit of an instigator, this part of me. And so uh, I got to uh, heckle him and call him out on how bad the Lakers did almost the entire game. And they lost miserably. They lost miserably. And, and this was his reasoning and excuse. He said that it was, it was the, uh, the coach's fault because the coach did not pushed the players, the Lakers players, into playing their style of basketball. In fact, the Lakers shot a bunch of three-pointers, which is one of the furthest shots away from the basket that you can shoot, and just missed miserably. And the, the opposing team was able to, to make all of theirs, and so the opposing team won very easily. And it got me to thinking, you know, maybe it wasn't just the coach of the Lakers that made a mistake. Maybe it was the coach of the other team that actually did something well and convinced the Lakers to play their type of game. Which got me to thinking as I was studying for this message on the church of Thyatira, do we as believers 
ever go against something, a conflict or a time in our life where we feel as though the coach for the other side knows all of our weaknesses and convinces us to not play the game that we're supposed to play. Because I really think oftentimes we do. And I want to look at Revelation chapter 2 as we're talking today. We've been in this series called The End of the World as we really wrestle through the book of Revelation and we are tackling these seven churches that Jesus is writing a letter to. And, and we've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. And Pastor Tina tackled the church of Pergamum last week. And next week, Pastor Brent is going to be in the house to preach and to, to tackle our next church. But today, we're dealing with a church called Thyatira. Now, if you want to really be tongue-tied, say that four times really fast. Thyatira, Thyatira. Can't do it. Thyatira. All right. But let's, let's go ahead and read that passage, Revelation chapter 2. We'll start in verse 18. It'll be up on the screen if you'd like. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, I want to pause right there because Jesus is doing something very specific. He is identifying his deity and his godhood to these people, this church. There has to be a reason why he's identifying it to them. One of the reasons is probably that he is setting up his authority to be able to speak into their life for a purpose, for a reason, to call something out that needs to be called out. All right? Remember that because we're going we're gonna to kind of talk about that today. It says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Wow, that's a good church, right? Good job, church. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Uh Uh-oh. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways." I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now understand, let let me point something else, and I, I didn't point this out in first service, actually God just showed it to me just now. That Jesus is talking about those who fall under that, that individual's teaching, and he says, I will search their hearts and minds. Notice he does not say, I will look at their behavior and actions. He says, I will search their hearts and minds. What we're talking about today, what we're going to be talking about today, begins in the hearts and minds of us. And we've got to be careful what's in our heart and mind, what we allow to exist. We'll talk about that. Give me just a minute. All right. Uh, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold on to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Know this, that when Jesus was talking, Jesus was talking to a growing church. Jesus was talking, really, to a good church in Thyatira. This wasn't a dead church. It wasn't a horrible church. This was a church that was growing. In fact, scholars believe that up to one-third of the city of Thyatira were believers. One-third. 3,000 out of the 9,000 in population at Thyatira, they believed, were Christians. That's a good church. Man, if we could see a third of Brandon come to Jesus, oh my goodness, we wouldn't be able to hold him in here. That would be a good church. That would be the church of Brandon holding people and and ministering to people. That'd be incredible. We wouldn't be satisfied, but it'd be incredible. This was a growing church. It was a good church. It wasn't just that they were seeing people saved, but Scripture tells us, Jesus says, I know your love. They were a loving church. They loved people. They did things the right way. And it says, I know your deeds and how you are doing more now than you were before. This is a church that's got it going on. They're doing some good things. And yet there was a problem within the church. Now, 
Before some of you shut me off, I know that there have been some teachings about Jezebel that you have probably been exposed to and heard. And this will be probably completely different than anything that you've heard. The church has used this name, Jezebel, to abuse some. Specifically women. We're not doing that today. Okay? This is not an indictment against women because we don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against principalities and powers. In fact, I have an incredible wife who very much speaks her mind and is a very strong-willed woman, and she's incredible. Okay? So this is not an indictment on women, and I want to make that very clear right up front because I, I, I feel impressed to say this because I believe that some of us have probably been hurt in churches where that name has been tossed around to shut a woman down, and that's not what we're doing. All right? But to understand this problem, we need to really understand who Jezebel in the Old Testament was. Who was this woman called Jezebel? Well, she was a queen in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel is what we call the northern kingdom. And there was a king at one point called Ahab, and Jezebel was Ahab's wife. Now, Ahab was known as an evil king. He was not a good king. He did not worship God. He did not trust the prophets of God. He was an evil king. And he married Jezebel, who was the daughter of Ithabal, the king of Tyre, which would be a place that we would call Phoenicia. Uh, You've probably, if you've been on the the ball ride in Disney at Epcot, you've heard of Phoenicia, if you remember your studies. Uh, The historian, though, Jeffrey Bromley, points out that it was a Phoenician practice to actually install any royal woman as a priestess to Asherah. This is where the story really turns sour. Jezebel, who was coming into a nation that was supposed to worship only God, was a priestess to a foreign god. Not only to Asherah, Jezebel was most likely, most scholars believe, a priestess also to Baal. Now, Baal and Asherah worship included things like ritual child sacrifice, illicit acts. Now, I know that we do have some children in the room, so I'm going to ask all of you adults to understand the language when I'm talking about illicit acts. I'm talking about the most vile illicit acts that you could even think of done publicly as a form of worship to an idol. She was a priestess, which meant that she was the first participants in that. This is what she brought to Israel. This is what she encouraged to be worshipped. In fact, she had uh, prophets of God killed so that there were only a hundred left. And then she brought in 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah to help her evangelize the country so that the rest of the people would worship Baal and Asherah. She was intent on working to change the moral law of the nation of Israel to accept the practices that she was accustomed to as a child. That was her intent. But it wasn't just that. She was also very manipulative and controlling. In fact, we can see the nature of that manipulation and control in a story about a man named Naboth. See, Naboth owned a vineyard next to King Ahab, next to his gardens in a town called Jezreel. And as Ahab was walking along his gardens, he looked across at the, at the vineyard of Naboth and he said, I would like to expand my gardens and I would like to put them in that field of Naboth. And so he went to Naboth and he said, I will give you any price, name your price, I'll pay for it, I want your field. And Naboth said, I can't do that. This is the land that was given to us when the children of Israel came into the land of Israel. This is my ancestral, my family land. God told us not to give this away to anyone, not to sell it. God told us to keep this land. This is important land. I can't do that. I'm sorry, King. Well, Ahab went home and did what every male does. He went and sulked, right? No, that is not what every male should do. Unfortunately, oftentimes we're guilty of that. Jezebel, his wife, saw that, and she said, you're king. 
go take the land. He said, I can't do that. He tried to explain the law, and Jezebel said, I'll take care of it. And so she went and she called a party in the city and asked for Naboth to be sat at the head table. And as Naboth was sat at the head table, she sent letters to the city leaders, and she said, there will be accusations against Naboth that he has blasphemed the name of God, and he needs to be killed. And so when, when Naboth came, she had two false witnesses stand up and make accusation against, her, against him. And then Jezebel stood up and said, if he is going to blaspheme God, take him out of the city and stone him. Catch this. The woman who was a priestess to two false gods accused the man falsely of blaspheming God and said he needs to be stoned. Talk about manipulation. Manipulation of truth. Manipulation of moral law. Evidently it was a law that he was supposed to commit, uh, adhere to, but not her. She was above that law. She was conniving, she was deceitful, and she was intent on creating Babylonian worship, or not Babylonian, but uh, Phoenician worship, the worship to Baal and Asherah in Israel. So what about this Jezebel in the church of Thyatira? Who was she? Well, Thyatira was not a coastal city like Pergamum last week, like we talked about last week. We, in fact, we talked about three coastal cities, but Thyatira was actually inland. And so it had no major port value, but what it did have, is it have was, were guilds, what we would call today as unions. Now, this is not an anti-union message, but the idea back then with a guild is each guild had a god that they served that gave success to that guild or that union. As that god gave success to that union, it came from, in their minds, the worship of that god. Which was, as you can guess, once again, illicit and immoral. Now, once again, I know that there are young children in the room, so we're not going to use the S-E-X word. We're going to use the illicit, immoral type thing, okay? Because I understand the nature of not wanting those questions. I remember my mom telling stories about this six-year-old boy who was her son, who went into a grocery store as they were looking for a card, a greeting card to buy, who yelled out in the middle of the grocery store, Hey, Mom, if SEX is number one, what's two and three? And my mom did the wonderful thing of looking back at her son and saying, What did you say? And so her son, being the dutiful son, said it louder. My mom, being a pastor's wife in 1981, was absolutely appalled and picked up her son and ran out of the grocery store embarrassed and still tells that story to this day. So I understand that we're not going to describe it in detail, but Jezebel was a prophetess, and she was actually part of the church. Get this. She was part of the church. She was in the church, a self-professed prophetess of the church, who encouraged the members of the church to go and participate in these immoral acts and offering sacrifices to idols that was happening at the guild celebrations. And she excused it. She said, it's okay if you go there and you participate, or, now catch this, and I need us to make the jump and the leap here. If you just even go and watch, it's okay. Make the leap, church. If you just go and watch, it's okay. You're just staying relevant with your culture. It's okay. You're just making sure that you're holding your job and able to make your money. It's okay. God forgives you. God accepts that. Jesus was saying, no, no. No, no. See, she justified and excused sinful practices in God's name. Let, let me give you a real hint and a real clue here. Real words from God won't excuse us to break the word of God. Real prophets and prophetesses will not cause us or excuse us to break God's word. God is one. 
He doesn't disagree with himself. He does not have multiple personalities. God does not sit there and have an argument with his own scripture that he wrote. I didn't say that. Yes, I did. That's not how that works. He's one. But this is what this prophetess was doing. Here's the thing. I believe that Jezebel is at war with the church today. At war in the church today. Now, I said it before, but I'm going to say it again. Jezebel here, as we're talking about, is not a woman. Now, the Jezebel in Revelation was a woman, but her name was most likely not Jezebel. Jesus used it to associate what was happening and what she was allowing to a story that happened back in Jewish history that they could relate and understand and correlate the evil. It's the same thing that we do today when we identify the nature of a spirit that we're dealing with, because see, that's what we're dealing with. Because there is such a thing as a Jezebel spirit. Now, I know that this part of the message gets really uncomfortable for some of us because some of us are like, ooh, I don't see a demon behind every door. However, this thing is real. And, and Paul says it's real in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood but against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We don't battle against people. We battle against spirits. And we identify them based on what they produce, and that's how we understand what's coming. That's how we understand how to fight against that, what to look for. So what does this spirit produce? Well, once again, I'm going to ask us to make some mental leaps here and to have some understanding. This spirit produces control in the form of manipulation and bringing confusion to truth. So let me say this again. The church, the modern church is at war with the Jezebel spirit. Let me make this very clear. We are not at war with a political party. We are not at war with anybody running for a political office. We are not at war with any individual or any person. We are not at war with any organization. We are at war with the enemy of our soul. And the Jezebel spirit is one of those demons. And so we've got to understand what it brings. But there are evidences in our society that the Jezebel spirit is at war with the church today. Bringing manipulation and confusion to truth. <coughs> Fake news. Or how about this one from the Pew Research Center that said compared, to, uh, compared 2019 to 2014 and found that American, Americans trust news outlets are overall vastly decreased. We don't, we don't trust what we're being told. Why? Because it's confusion. We don't battle against news outlets, though. We understand that there's a spirit of confusion at work behind what's going on. On every side of every aisle. We've got to recognize it and understand. It's a rejection of truth. A rejection of absolute truth. Have you ever had this conversation? Well, it's true for me, but it's not necessarily true for you, or it doesn't have to be true for you. Or... That's, that's what works for me, but it doesn't have to work for you. Has anybody ever said that to you? Yeah, you know what that is? It's moral relativism. It's relativism. Here's the thing. Relativism ultimately does not work as a societal belief. I'm going to get a little deep. Y'all go a little deep with me today? Relativism, relativism doesn't work. Here's why. If it's good for me then I can look at Erica and I can say, Erica, it's good for me that you give me $10,000. Pay up. Now, what happens when Erica looks at me and says, it's not good for me, so I'm not going to do it? Ultimately, the strongest wins. See, ultimately, moral relativism ends in abuse of those who may be weaker. Moral relativism doesn't work. And yet, as a church, 
and this is where we get uncomfortable, we've slipped into it. Pastor Ken, how have we slipped into it? I haven't slipped. When we say things like, this is what this scripture means to me. Listen, that scripture has one meaning. Now, I understand that some of us have said that by not understanding what we're really saying, but I want to give you another statement to say and encourage you to say this. Instead, say, this is what that scripture is speaking to me. Not what it means, but this is what it's speaking to me. This is how it's interacting with my life. Not necessarily what it means. The scripture has one meaning. Let me give you a couple of examples. The first one is the funniest one that I've probably ever heard. It was used when I went to college at Southeastern Bride or Army Bible College. Um, where a young man would walk up to a young lady and said, you know, Scripture tells us to greet each other with a holy kiss, forsaking not tongues. Now, fortunately, I don't know of any situation that ever worked. Thank goodness, right? Or how about this one? The person who says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and uses that as the reasoning that they're supposed to get the raise in the job. That's a misquote of Scripture. Here's what Paul was saying. When Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he was saying, if you read in the context, he's saying, I can live in lack or I can live in plenty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content with not enough or content with more than enough. Too often we take and we, we twist and spin scripture. We do it even in the church. We become moral, morally relative. See, we've rejected truth that hurts. Truth that calls us to a better calls us to be better, and we exchange this for a version of the truth that makes us comfortable because it gives us what we want. Let me say that again: We've rejected truth that hurts and calls us to be better, and we've exchanged it for a version of truth that gives me what I want. It's not really truth, though, is it? It's not really truth. See, Naboth, Naboth had ancestral ground, and Jezebel did the same thing. Where Jezebel looked at that and said, ah, that doesn't have to necessarily be truth that he gets that or keeps that. Our truth is that the king should have that. When the reality is, even after Naboth died, he should have had a kinsman redeemer that would have been able to redeem the land for that family. But that wasn't even allowed. Or how about this woman in Thyatira who went directly against what James, the apostle, and the other apostles said in Acts chapter 15, verse 20, which said, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted to idols, food offered to idols in idolatry, and from immorality. They should abstain from that. And yet this prophetess was convincing them that it was okay. What else does the Jezebel spirit encourage? Well, it encourages moral ambiguity instead of moral law. This idea of tolerance, it's okay, I'll, just, I'll tolerate you. Guess what? Biblically, tolerance is not love. Love is different. And sometimes love calls us to say the hard thing. Sometimes love calls us to say a spade is a spade. And we've got to say what's true because love is truth that's spoken for your best interest. And so it's love. It would not be love if I let my wife walk around with spaghetti sauce all over her face. That would not be love. She would be very upset with me. But you know what? Spiritually, in the church, sometimes we tolerate that type of thing, don't we? We're unwilling to have the difficult conversation in love. See, this passage in Revelation, though, was talking about people. Because the church has never been a building. Let me say that again. The church has never been a building. The church is a group of people. It's us. The church has never been an organization. It's been us. We are the church. And this is who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to the people uh, in Thyatira. We are the church. And the church had partnered with this Jezebel spirit. They had tolerated her, and some within the church had partnered actively with her. 
See, we sometimes open the doors in our lives to partner with spiritual forces. Let me make this clear. I'm not saying that that church or the people in that church were possessed. A believer cannot be possessed by a demonic spirit. Okay? There is partnering with, and what that does, when you partner with an evil spirit, which do exist, we establish that, when you partner with them, it influences your actions, your behavior. You then, that's when you say the words, I couldn't help myself do that. That's partnering with that spirit, okay? That oftentimes transfers to a place of oppression. What is oppression? It's shame that we live under because of what we partnered with. That's oppression. What does that do? Well, it does exactly what Jezebel was doing in the Old Testament, where she gathered around her eunuchs, men who had been castrated, because her entire desire was to castrate and kill off the prophetic voice, to castrate and kill off authority in the land, to kill off the family, and the role of men in that community. That was her desire. And when we partner with that sin, and we allow that sin to become shame, we as believers allow ourselves, our spiritual authority, to be castrated and cut off. Because then when you go to step in and witness to somebody, all of a sudden there's a hesitation with you because you know what you did last week. When you go step in to pray over somebody, there's no authority because all you can picture is what you did five weeks ago. It castrates, it cuts off our authority, it cuts off our power. It cuts off our connection with the Holy Spirit. When we partner with the enemy. That oppression oftentimes will lead to a rejection of Christ because of the shame, which ultimately ends in possession, yes. But Jesus here is talking to those who are in the church, too. Not just Jezebel. In verse 22, he says, And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. So I have a question. What are we tolerating in our lives? What are we tolerating? Because we've got to make this personal. I've got to make this about me. I am the church. So what am I tolerating? Well, I think we tolerate the very same things that the church of Thyatira was tolerating. We tolerate idolatry. Pastor Ken, I do not have any idols that I bow down to in my home. I promise you, Pastor Ken, I don't have any idols. I have no idols, Pastor Ken. I don't make any images. Let me just read you a quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, Let us beware, lest we in our pride accept the erroneous notion that idolatry consists only in kneeling before visible objects of adoration and that civilized people are therefore free from it. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. It begins in the mind and may be present where no overt act of worship has taken place. Now, think back. We talked about this earlier. Where did Jesus say he was going to search? Their hearts and their... This is where idolatry begins to happen. And it happens in two ways. It happens, number one, in the devaluing of God in our minds. The devaluing of his godhood, of his nature. The comparison of God to mankind. The pulling down of his character and his nature. In our heads. What's the second way? Well, see, when you devalue his nature, then you begin to devalue the time that you spend with him, and you begin to put that aside and spend time in many other places except him. Because let's be real. If I told you that you had access to the God of the universe and you could talk to him anytime you want, why would we not? If I told you that you had a personal letter written from the God of the universe who had all control and knew everything that would happen, why would we not read that letter? And yet, where do we spend our time? How else do we tolerate the spirit of Jezebel working in our lives? Will we tolerate it with immorality in our lives? With immorality. We don't just tolerate it, though. We also justify it. 
even as a church. We justify it through intimacy outside of marriage. And let me just make this very, very clear. Very, very out there. If you are being intimate with someone who is not your spouse, that is not God's design. We are breaking God's design. And because of that, that is called sin. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. That's called sin. Now, I know that that's not what our culture says, and I understand that. And I understand that that's difficult because we love. But God's calling us to look different. He's calling us to look different. And we're trying to look the same as the world, just like the people of Thyatira. We're partnering ourselves with immorality just like they did with that spirit of Jezebel. And we are partnering the same way. Oh, Pastor Ken, it doesn't hurt. It's not what studies are showing. A study by Nicholas Wolfinger from the University of Utah said that the group with the lowest divorce rates are those who had zero partners before marriage. See, it's causing divorce. See, we're hurting ourselves by partnering with Jezebel's beliefs. We're hurting ourselves. That's awesome. My notes just closed. We're hurting ourselves by partnering with Jezebel's beliefs. But it's not just there. It's not just about immorality that we participate in. It's immorality that we view. Pornography is rampant in our society. And it's not just rampant in our society, it's rampant in our churches. Get this. There are more views, more time spent on pornography than on Amazon, Netflix, and YouTube all combined together. 30% of digital traffic and 35% of downloads are pornographic. And these images, they stick in our head and they cause us to be cut off from the power that God has for us. Cut off from the authority that he's called us to walk in. These images are not God's design. It's not God's design for us to participate in this. But we don't just, it's not just the images of pure pornography. We partner with it in things like the, the award show that we watch. The music and movie award. Oh, I'm meddling now. Listen, some of the acts that you will see on that stage are reminiscent to the, the worship of Baal Peor. It's the very same thing. And they're acting it out, yes, clothed, but they're acting it out on stage at some of those shows. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the pictures. It's disgusting. It's horrifying. And yet we bring that into our home and we partner with it. See, we, we've tolerated the effects of immorality in our lives. For some of us, we, we have and are partnering with Jezebel. And some of us may be actively participating in this. But we fool ourselves into believing that it won't impact us now. And we tolerate the infection that sits below the surface, cutting off any type of authority that we have to speak into something. This is not how God wants us to live. This is not what God wants for us. It's not what he's calling us. And so here's the thing. We have to come to the place where we look at him and we say, I am Thyatira. I have partnered with Jezebel. I have tolerated her. So what now? Well, the beautiful thing is, is that God hasn't designed us to live that way. God's designed you for freedom. He's designed you to live and to operate in the power and authority that he has. That's how he's created you. And all we have to do is to partner with him. Well, how do we do it? Well, he, he tells us right there in the word. What does he tell us about Jezebel? He says, I've given her a chance to repent. What does he tell us about the people who partnered with her? He says, if 
they will not repent. So what's the key? We've got to repent. We've got to repent. We've got to repent. We've got to turn away from what we've been doing because the solution is repentance. And we find this repentance verse in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 that really shows us what it's all about. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will humble themselves, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. See, the launching place for this is humility. The launching place is to be humble. Oftentimes, though, we fall into the arrogance of thinking that we know better for us than our own creator. He says, just humble yourselves. Step out and say, I I am the church of Thyatira. Because see, here's what I need you to understand. I am the church of Thyatira. Oh, you think that pastors are perfect and they, they stand up on a stage with nothing wrong. Here's the reality. I was exposed to pornography at 11 years old. It warped the way that I viewed women. It changed my life for the worse. I struggled with it for years, years, years through Bible college. I struggled until finally somebody sat me down and they said, Ken, you can be free. Let's give it to Jesus. You can be free. And I found freedom. But I'm going to tell you, uh, my, my war, my battle with, with the Jezebel is not over. I battle against that daily. I battle against that temptation. I fight against it. Why? Because at 11 years old, I was exposed. And the enemy knows that if, if he can get a little bit more of that into me, if he can get me back on that road, that he will take away every sense of authority I have to be able to do what I do. See, here's the thing. Some of you sit there and you're just like me. You're, you're thinking back and it's not just men, it's women also because women are being so overexposed to this right now. It's epidemic. You, you've been exposed to, to this Jezebel spirit. You've been exposed to pornography, to illicit immorality to idolatry in your life. And you recognize and think back years, months, decades ago when that door was opened. We've got to close the door. And this is, this is what he says. He says the first step is to humble yourself. Humble yourself to say, you know what? I am the church of Thyatira. I, I am. I'm struggling. God, I'm struggling. See, here's, here's the beautiful thing. It's almost like that, that first step is the hardest. Because see, when we say, I am the church of Thyatira, I struggle with this. When we step out in humility, then all of a sudden, that next step becomes easier because when I recognize that I'm messed up, I need to go to somebody who isn't, and that's God, so I pray and seek his face. And then when I pray and seek his face, he reveals his goodness, and now oh, I can turn from my wicked ways, and I can live for him. That first step is the hardest. And let me just say this. It's the one most of us Christians avoid. What if they see me? Let me tell you, that's not just you whispering that to you. That is the enemy whispering that to you. The spirit of Jezebel does not want to be exposed. Why? Because when you expose that to light, who is the light? Jesus is the light of the world. You give him authority to deal with it. See, here's the beautiful thing. I was talking to the worship team before service. Here's the beautiful thing. Oftentimes when we hear this idea of fighting in the spirit, we think, oh, I know what I got to do. I got to sing a little louder. 
which is good. I got to pray louder, which can be good. I've got I've to read my Bible more, which is definitely good. But that's not how Jesus said to win. What did he say we need to do to win? Repent. 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 See, this is how we win. We win by doing this. We win by hitting our knees. Why? Because he's already won the war. He's already won the battle. What we're doing when we hit our knees is we are removing our partnership from that spirit of Jezebel and taking it away and saying, I will partner with God. I repent. And I turn myself around and walk the other way. Come on, stand with me, church. I want you to get this. It is within the humility of the admission of wrong that we can find the foundation of being made right by God. I'm going to say it again because I want you to understand this. This is so stinking important. If God talking to, talking to Israel, start it off with them. Humble yourself. We have to make sure that we are in that boat today. It is within the humility, the humility, the humility, the humility of the admission of wrong. God, I am the church of Thyatira. That we can be found. We can find the foundation of being made right with God. I can't make myself right with God. Listen, I tried. In my effort, I battled depression. I battled thoughts of suicide, which, by the way, is another earmark of the spirit of Jezebel. Especially in ministers, and we've seen a rampant excess in ministers committing suicide recently. Why? Because the church is battling the spirit of Jezebel right now. How do we beat it? We repent. Because God wants freedom for us. Maybe you sit here this morning, you say, Pastor Ken, I, I don't have this freedom that you're talking about. I, I don't have a relationship with this God that you're talking about who wants freedom from this stuff with me. I've been involved with things that, that maybe that or maybe something completely different, but you recognize this lack and this hole where God is not there. And you say, Pastor Ken, this morning, I need to give my life to God. I need to have a relationship with a God who wants more from me. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. If that's you, you say, Pastor Ken, I need that relationship with God right where you are. Just lift your hand up. I want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, this morning, I give you my life, every part of it. I repent for my sin, all the things that I've done against you, and I proclaim you as Lord and Savior of my life, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate with me. Tony, do you have that slide for us? To, oh, no, you may not because I didn't put it in there. We'll skip that part. Here's what we want to do. I talked with Pastor Ada this week because this is something that I've never really, I, I've done a little bit with, but I wanted to make sure that I had some spiritual backing really right here. And I want us to walk through a prayer because we need to break this spirit of Jezebel in our lives because we are the church. We need to break the partnership. And so uh, he's going to put a prayer up on the screen, and I want us to pray this. We're going to do something else right after it, but I want us to pray this together. We're just going to say it together. And this is not a chant. This is not a, anything like that. Here's what this is. This is us agreeing together where two or three are gathered together in his name. There he is. We're agreeing together with the Holy Spirit, and we're rejecting this spirit of Jezebel. 
For some of us, it looks a little bit different. For some of us, maybe you recognize places where maybe you've partnered a little bit more or in different ways in controlling or domination, but maybe your partnership has simply been in idolatry and not putting God where he belongs, or maybe it's been in in some type of immorality. We want to break that. We want to sever that tie this morning. So will you read this with me? Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I confess and renounce as sin any of my actions and attitudes of manipulation, domination, and controlling other people. I repent for operating in the ways of Jezebel, in promoting or tolerating idolatry or immorality in my life. Forgive me. I receive your love and obediently submit to you. In Jesus' name. So now we've just done something corporately and I'm going to challenge you to do something personally. Because here's the thing. When we find those places in our life that have been exposed, we need to give them to God. We need to shut those doors. We need to get the partnership that we've had out. Maybe you're thinking back and maybe God's just reminded you you of a place that you've been exposed or a place that you exposed yourself to this, this spirit of Jezebel, this excusing and tolerance of immorality and idolatry in our lives. And I want to encourage you and challenge you. Don't stand still. Humble yourself. What does that mean? That means that we need to find our knees, church. I'm going to give you liberty in this room. Find a place up here at your seat, wherever you are comfortable. But if you are struggling with this and you want to close your door and sever that tie, let's do that together. Let's do that one-on-one with God and let's close those doors. Pastor Jason's going to lead a song in a moment, but I want to pray with you right before we go to that. So Father, in Jesus' name right now, Lord, I know that there are those here who are feeling the impact and the effects of things that have happened in their past immorality, acts, pornography, oh God. They're seeing the impact in their life and how it's determined the course of their life in places. Lord, we're seeing the impact of idolatry in our life where we've put other things ahead of you. And Lord, right now we repent before you. We ask forgiveness, oh God. We ask that you would cleanse us. Make us new. Creating us a clean heart, oh God. Hey guys, wasn't that such an amazing message? If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow our podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag MyAriseChurch. For more information or to give to this ministry, go to Church.